podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us today. We have a fully loaded show. This one is fantastic. You guys are going to love it. We're going to kick things off with our defensive line rankings. We're going to go through our position group rankings this offseason for football. We're starting with the defensive line. I'm very excited to have Adam Lund of Tape Doesn't Lie and Joe Broback of sixth year sports joining the show today breaking down all 10 defensive lines we're ranking them ranking them one through ten then laurie fitzpatrick of the draft wire is going to join us we're talking about the draft specifically landing spots for big 12 players and which of the undrafted free agents does she think have the best shot at sticking with their team really great show i think you guys are really going to like this one i had a lot of fun with it Ranking defensive line units, not the easiest thing in the world. Uh, before we get to that, a couple of things. First off, we, we have to talk about Baylor has hired a new women's basketball coach, Nikki Collin, formerly the head coach of the WNBA Atlanta Dream. That one came kind of out of nowhere. That was an incredibly shocking hire. And, I, I mean, better than I think we really thought they would get after losing Kim Mulkey. There's no guarantee that she's going to have great success. She's coached in the WNBA for five seasons, three as a head coach, two as an assistant. Uh, she was a WNBA coach of the year in 2018. She's never been a, a college head coach. This is an interesting hire. It really is. And I, I mean, hey, they swung for the fences and we'll see what happens. But she's a smart coach. She's capable. She's had success the WNBA, I'll be curious how she can handle recruiting because that's the big thing. That's the biggest difference is recruiting. And if she can do that, then hey, the Baylor won't see as much of a drop-off as we thought they might. So we'll talk more about that uh, later with Jamie when she joins us back on the show. Uh, if you didn't know, by the way, this Sunday is Mother's Day. So it's the time to send your mother something. Tells her that you care, you appreciate all of your bullshit that she put up with for years, all the sack lunches, 
all the late nights with help. Um, and of course, everything else that our beautiful and wonderful mothers have done for us throughout our entire lives. You can send her flowers. That's cool. You could send her chocolates. That's neat. Uh, you could send her whatever her favorite collectible trinket is. But might I suggest you send her the most comfortable sweater or t-shirt she will ever own. And you can find that at Homefield Apparel. Because my guess is your mother might have gone to college or she might have a team that she likes to root for. Many of our mothers do. And, and maybe she's a fan of Baylor or Texas Tech or Oklahoma State or Iowa State. Maybe she just likes Toledo. Maybe she's someone who would really enjoy a Delaware blue hen. Uh, maybe she thinks that uh, that Hawaii is pretty neat. Maybe it's her favorite place to vacation, and she would love a Hawaii sweater. Homefieldapparel.com. Promo code 1012 gets you 20% off your first order. All orders of $70 or more get free shipping. It's a perfect gift for mom. It's the perfect way to say to mom, hey, I love you. I want you to be comfortable. I want you to relax in the most comfortable, awesome college sports apparel I could find you. They've even got joggers, Indiana joggers. And they're probably sold out by now, let's be honest. Uh, but if not, hey, she might like those too. Might I suggest an Oklahoma State shirt? Georgetown, Iowa, BYU. Doesn't matter. These things are so comfortable. You could put her in any team you want. She's going to love it. Remember, promo code 1012, 20% off your first order. Perfect gift for mom. One other thing, Big New Saturday starts soon, season two. Big New Saturday season two. And if you weren't aware, there will be some Big 12 schools added to home fields lineup during this year's Big New Saturday. They offer subscription tees. It's a really, really neat thing. Uh, basically, they're going to send you a t-shirt each week of Big New Saturday. Go to the website, homefieldapparel.com. Check it out. Sign up for subscription tees. It's a neat thing. I am really interested in doing so uh, because I've I know some of the schools that are coming. They're going to be some big ones. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think you're going to like the Big 12 schools to get added. I am I am very intrigued to see what's coming. So, homefieldapparel.com. Buy something for mom. Get yourself subscribed for Big New Saturday Season 2. Give them a follow on Twitter. And you and your mom and grandma, wife, every other woman in your family could be rocking the most comfortable Sweaters, t-shirts, hoodies, and joggers this Mother's Day. Okay, two great interviews. I think you guys are really going to like these. I really, really do. I really think you guys are going to like these. Uh, one other note. This Monday's episode might be a little bit short, a little bit weird. It's Mother's Day, as we mentioned. Uh, probably going to just take the Sunday off uh, because it feels like a good time to spend with moms and wives and, and kids. So we'll have something on Monday. I've got an interview in the can I think I'm going to use. I'm very excited about it. I think you guys are really going to like it. It's a, it's a neat one. It's an opportunity to feature a sport we don't always hear on the show that is a Big 12 sport. Um, so do us a favor. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a single episode. Wherever you get podcasts, you can subscribe. Leave us a rating and a review. Five stars, please. And if you leave me a new rate, a review, I will read it here on the show, even if you are scathing and mean. But if you're mean, can you leave us five stars? I'd appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter at 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast. Follow us on the gram at 1012pod. All that said, let's get to it. All right, we're kicking off our position group rankings today. 
We were starting with the defensive line. Very excited to have two very smart guests on the show. Two guys smarter than me. That's the whole premise of this podcast is bringing people smarter than me on to make me look really smart. Uh, first up, Adam Lunt of Tape Doesn't Lie joining us. Adam, welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you, sir. Good to be back. Uh, and joining us for the first time, Joe Broback. Very excited to have you here. Recommended by our good friend, Cam Allure. Uh, rides for 60 Year Sports, host of the CFB with JB podcast. Joe, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. So we are here to rank. So the, everyone understands because we've had to have this conversation a few times. We're ranking the defensive line units in the Big 12, 1 through 10. So obviously we'll talk about some of our, our favorite defensive linemen. I don't know about you guys. I literally did spend two weeks like researching and digging through this and found it a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Like parts of this were fairly easy. And I was like, okay, I feel good about this. Other parts, I'm like, I don't know who who these. I don't know who that is. Like, I don't. I literally, like, uh, okay. I'm scraping message boards. I'm trying to figure out who Kansas's backup weak side defensive end is. Like, it's <laughs> it's total chaos. So, um, this is going to be a real a real challenge. I'm looking forward to seeing your guys's rankings um, because there are there's some very incomplete information that I think is included at least in mine. So. Yeah, I think three minds together will be able to put a list together. I think three of us can do it if we combine our talent together. <laughs> talent, Probably. if you want to call it that. Probably. I figure by the end of the time of this, if we average it all out, we should be pretty close to accurate. That feels, feels right. <laughs> there right. we go. Yeah, well, that's a good rationalization. You know, it's May 4th. Give yourself a break, all right? All right, there's like four <laughs> four months until fall camp or three months until fall camp. A can change. So let's let's just everyone give themselves a break. So. We're reporting this on Tuesday. I am sure that by the time this podcast comes out on Thursday, two defensive linemen will have entered the transfer portal, <laughs> and this entire thing will be just an exercise in futility. But, but maybe they'll they'll transfer to another team in the conference. That way, you just move one team up <laughs> and the other team down. You know, so it'll be real nice and, and easy. So appreciate that. Now that the rule is out of the way, I'm sure they'll all go to Oklahoma. Well, he wouldn't do that, right? He doesn't <laughs> like that rule. So surely Lincoln Riley wouldn't allow it in conference transfer. Okay. So we're just going to go one through 10. We'll each list our one or two or three in order. Uh, and Joe, since you are a first time guest on the show today, I'm going to, I'm going to let you go first here. Uh, who do you have as the top defensive line group in the big 12? Well, I uh, went with what I thought was the obvious pick, which is the Oklahoma Sooners. I just think they have, you know, you look at Nick Bonito. We were talking about him before the show. I wasn't sure if we counted him or not, but that's good. Um, you know, and then Perry on Winfrey and Isaiah Thomas add to that as well. Uh, I just think that they have so many guys that can do a lot of things. And yeah, I agree. I have, I had them as number one as well for the same reasons. Um, I think Winfrey and Thomas, uh, Winfrey and Benito for sure are two of the best defensive linemen. I think in the country, I think Isaiah Thomas is another fantastic piece. He and Winfrey were, were second team all big 12 defensive linemen last year. Uh, I think pro football focus ranks Benito as the best returning lineman in college football for 2021, which is crazy. I, I think it's a pretty easy number one. I say that Andy, who do you have number one? <laughs> no, no surprises. Um, uh, I'll go with Oklahoma as well. Um, I'm a big Perry on Winfrey fan. I think he's a, <clears throat> pretty tremendous you know one gap disrupting defensive tackle he's perfect for that that scheme is kind of like an undersized guy um you know they've got the best pass rusher they have the most disruptive defensive tackle and they're probably the deepest as well you know and look all the way down to 
Josh Ellison, Laron Stokes has a lot of snaps under his belt. You know, you guys have already talked about Isaiah Thomas. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's the most complete unit. And also too, they're very, uh, they're a great fit for what Alex Grinch does too. And they do all the slanting and all the, all the stunts and all that stuff. And this is a very lean defensive line. So not only are they probably the most talented, they're probably the deepest and they're also very, uh, a very great fit for what they do defensively. So definitely would agree. OU number one. All right. I kind of figured we'd all be OU at the top. It seemed like the most obvious number one. Uh, so to me, here's where things start to get interesting. Uh, okay, Joe, who do you have at number two? Oh man. I go first for all these is crazy. Um, this was tough. Cause there's, three teams that I really, really like you could, add, I guess you could add a fourth. Um, and this might be recency bias. Cause I just started watching their film. Um, but I put TCU there. I think that Gary Patterson set to have a great year there with uh, the talent returning. And I think up front is where they're really going to thrive. One guy that I'm really high on is Kari Coleman. I think he's an underrated player in the big 12. And then, uh, math is on the other side. That's this two of the best defensive ends really in the conference to me. Uh, so I, I think I put them too, but uh, you know, Phil, you and I were talking before two through five just feels like you could flip them all and it would make sense regardless of where you put them. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I have the same thing. There's not a huge difference to me between two through five. Um, but I, and I, I promise I'm not being a homer. I actually have Oklahoma state at number two. Um, they essentially bring back everybody, but Cam Murray. Um, I think Brock Martin, Tyler Lacey continues to develop. Uh, it trades forward if he can become a better run blocker. That's great. Israel Antoine, um, you get, to me, the difference between them and three, four, five is I thought they returned the most reliability, but they also had upside. You get Colin Clay, who's going to come back, who, who missed last season with his injury, which I think is good. They get Jaden Jernigan back, who sat out last season. Um, he played really well as a true freshman in 2019. So I get... To me, the most reliable returning, and I get upside to go with it. So that put Oklahoma State at number two for me. Uh, Adam, where, who do you have it to? Uh, I'm going to go with Joe here. I've got TCU. Um, you know, I think when you when you go past Oklahoma, uh, I mean, I, I agree with you guys. It's kind of a lumped group together, and it's it's more of like a preference thing, I guess. Uh, at this point, you know, Coleman Mathis showed out last year. And I think you see, you really see Gary Patterson's defense shine when he has uber athletic defensive ends. And I think if you go back and look at uh, the 2019 year, they didn't have that. They struggled last year. They did. And they were, you know, uh, they were the uh, TCU caliber defense that we're used to seeing. So um, it was hard for me because, you know, there's other teams that this is not a complete unit. Um, you know, their interior defensive line, is fairly average, but I guess if I'm, if I'm guessing, I'm guessing that they're going to be able to figure out some type of solution inside to mix with those defensive ends to, to form a pretty good unit. And that's kind of like what pushed them ahead for me a little bit. And also too, I think Mathis and Coleman probably have a pretty good shot to both be their first or second team defense, uh, all big 12. And I don't know if there's another team out there that has two guys that are that caliber. So for me, that gave them the edge. That's good. That's good. All right, Joe, who do you have number three? Uh, three. So I had, I had Oklahoma state pretty much what you said, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys with potential, uh, you know, trace Ford is a guy that I'm really excited about this year. Very, uh, very productive playmaker for them. And uh, you know, there's, 
Brock Martin, you mentioned before too. So there's a lot of guys that I like on this line that, you know, they have a lot of potential here, you know, their defense really stepped up for them last year, which was really surprising for me. And I think with, you know, Malcolm Rodriguez is back behind them, but there's going to be a little bit of inexperience behind that line. So I think the D line is going to have to uh, step up this year. So I, I felt good about OSU too, is that three, four, five, I struggled with. Um, I actually went with Iowa State at number three. I know they lose Jaquan Bailey, but they also have Terrell Bangston and, and Joshua Bailey, but they get Will McDonald back. I mean, he did, he, he wasn't starting, and he was a first-team defensive lineman. Like, I I think this defensive line is really good. They get back. I'm not going to try and pronounce his last name, but it's uh, – I'm going to try and do it. Oh, here we go. <sighs> Uwazurik. I hope I got that right. I think um, it's Owazaruke. Awazariki or Man. Some, Awazariki, I think was good. That's so. good. I, hey, someone will get it figured and tell us <laughs> and be like, dude, how do you not know how to pronounce that? Uh, honorable mention, all big 12. Uh, nose tackle is a bit of a question mark. They've got a lot of options. They've got a really good two deep. Um, I, I think losing Jaquan Bailey is a big deal for that line. But I think Will McDonald is was so good, not even as a starter, filling it and taking over as the starter is going to fill that gap easily for them. So I really like what Iowa State is bringing back. And because they're, you know, part of it is, and I know we're supposed to treat units as just the individual unit. We shouldn't think of them as a whole or as the whole defense. But I do think with Iowa State returning as much as they are, it's only going to help make their defensive line that much better because they're going to have so much other support around them. It's not just going to be on them. But I, I went with Iowa State at number three. Uh, Joe and me are, are neck, you know, eye to eye right now. I got Oklahoma state at number three. Um, I, I think if you look at what makes Oklahoma great, Oklahoma state's kind of like a poor man's, you know, version of that, which is so symbolic across everything. It's painful. Um, but, uh, but I think if you think about it, like you've got Nick Benito, who's, who's, you know, the best pure passer. And then you've got Trace Ford. You've got, you know, Isaiah Thomas and and guys that are, you know, those defensive end, defensive tackle swing, like a four, like a three tech defensive tackle or can swing out to defensive end. You know, you look at a Tyler Lacey or a Cody Walterscheid that that can, that's that 280 pound defensive end. And then as Philip mentioned, Colin Clay, we're not really sure what we're going to get from him coming off an ACL, but he's a super talented player. And then really, I think the most impressive player of all of them, including Trace Ford, is Israel Antoine, who's an absolute freak. And I think he's going to be a guy that's going to take a pretty big leap forward. Um, he's an out, like just a unit. I mean, he's the, I, I believe he's the strongest, other than maybe Josh Sills, the strongest guy on the team. Um, and he's flexible as well. And he started to kind of come on last year and, and, uh, and a little bit more limited duty. So um, one thing that I will say is, I know we mentioned how hard this was. Um, I don't know of anyone that I know of that's probably more plugged in on the OSU depth chart that's not in the program than me. And I have no idea what the starting lineup is going to look like. So, uh, so and I, I think one thing that mirrors Oklahoma as well is just the depth. I mean, there's potentially 10, 11 defensive linemen here that could play significant snaps. So, um, so there's a lot of parallels there and that was kind of the reason why I had them slotted as three. So very nice. Very nice. Okay. So you guys have been step for step. So Ver far. verbatim thus far. So, uh, so then Joe, who do you have at four? 
Joe's on mute. Uh-oh. Yeah, sorry, my uh, internet, I guess, is operating on a Kansas level more than an Oklahoma uh, level. So uh-huh. <laughs> I'm keeping that in. I have I have Texas at four. I'm a big fan of Keandre Colburn. Uh, I think he's just a, a force inside. Now he's not going to produce the most stats or maybe make the most eye popping plays, but it's going to be tough to block him. You know, he's not really much of a threat in the pass rush, but. I just really like what he does in terms of run stuffing. Uh, you know, Alfred Collins is another guy that is been kind of jumping on my radar, kind of a guy who can make a lot of plays for them. Uh, still relatively new to, to that unit, but uh, you know, I was, I was debating with them in my next team. Uh, but I just think that the talent level of Texas gives them a little bit of an edge here. All right. All right. Uh, I'm going with TCU here. Time, time for the Horn Frogs. Um, but you guys said, Pretty much everything that needs to be said. O'Shawn Mathis uh, led the Big 12 in sacks last year. Uh, Coleman, who was the co-defensive freshman of the year, uh, finished second in the Big 12 in tackles for loss. You know, there's the, the big question, of course, for them has been the tackles. But, you know, Corey Bethley only played four games last season. The defensive line was a lot better with him in the lineup. So he comes back. That should immediately be a, a benefit for the line. Um, Terrell Cooper is another guy that they're going to get back that should benefit them. So I, I do think the the biggest questions have some potentially good answers for TCU. Um, like I said, I, the the difference to me between that two through five and really the three four five is pretty negligible. They have all situations of defensive lines who are bringing back studs, um, but have spots that are question marks. I think TCU. I have them at four, but I mean the difference between them and Oklahoma State is it's very small. So I've got TCU at four. Adam, uh, who do you have? We're four for four, Joe. Uh, I've got Texas as well. Um, And he kind of hit on some of the hot points. Uh, Interior defensive line is obviously pretty outstanding. I mean, you know, Coborn is a load. Um, And, you know, Collins is a good player. Uh, And they've they've got Ojimo, who's kind of like a – he was big. Particularly like a defensive tackle that moved a defensive end probably by more like necessity. There's there's Sweat, there's Jacoby Jones. They've got a few guys in there that that, that provide some depth. But my one concern is, and this is why it's probably uh, I was going to say I thought I was going to be uh, saying a hot take with Texas at four, but uh, I guess not on this podcast. Um, <laughs> which is which is cool. But I was going to say that uh, there's no real good edge rushers. I mean. Prince Dorba, who's a guy that I remember watching from high school. He's, I believe he's from Highland Park. Um, really, really like explosive athlete, super undersized though. Um, and, you know, he's a guy that could potentially be an edge guy, but who knows? I mean, he's like 225 pounds. He's more of a, a linebacker size. So I think the one thing that the downgrades this unit is there's no clear edge or pass rush threat that, that they have uh, tremendous interior defensive line but no one that's really separated themselves on the edge. And I believe they're the new DC PK. It's probably going to run more of like a, a three man modified front, probably try to bring some pressure from, you know, the second, third levels anyways. Um, but anyways, number four would be Texas for me. Very good. Okay. Joe, we're on to number five. Who you got? Well, I mean, I feel like I am four for four. I don't know if we can go far five for five, but I have Iowa state here. I feel like this is the last the streak is over. It's over. Wow. We, we're we're well, different. I'm, just, I'm, I'm changing. I'm changing. I don't want to go different. No, I'm kidding. Um, it was tough because I really like what Iowa State brings back, especially at linebacker. Uh, but I think if you had to 
the weakness of this defense, it would definitely be defensive line. Phil, you mentioned Bankston's transferring to Houston. Uh, Jaquan Bailey is gone. I like Will McDonald as well. And I, I just don't know what other pieces can step up uh, with the loss of those two guys, but McDonald's a stud. I like him. Um, I, you know, I think because, because of all the talent they have behind them, I think that gives them a little bit less pressure to have to perform at a high level. And I think because people are so worried about the Mike roses and whatnot, that the D line will be able to make some more plays because teams will probably think that they can handle that defensive line and worry about other players. Very good. Okay. Um, I have West Virginia here. Uh, look, I understand the better of the Sills brother or Stills brothers is gone. And Darius, but Dante is back. I think he's, he's solid. He's not his brother, but he's not, he's not bad. Uh, big 12 second teamer, Akeem Mesador is back. He was ninth in big 12 in sacks last year as a freshman. So I expect if he takes a big step forward, he's taking, uh, I think he can take and, and really fill in the role from Darius. Um, they get returning starter with Jeffrey Pooler. That's nice. He was an honorable mention. I, I I think they it's another situation of kind of like TCU, kind of like Iowa State, bring guys back that I really like. They have some questions that we need to get answered, and, and I don't I'm not sure they should, they had the true answers for that yet, but they bring enough back that I really like, um, so that they kind of fall back within this like I, I just don't know enough to separate them a whole lot yet. But I'll go with West Virginia at five. Um, Adam, that leaves you. Villa, we're on the same page here. So I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm just like a copycat here because I've had someone <laughs> align me. So I, I've got West Virginia as well. Um, so I, I've watched, and this is based off of maybe like three or four games I've watched closely of West Virginia, but I don't necessarily understand the Darius Stills is significantly better than Dante Stills uh, narrative. Um and, and maybe this is just bias from the games that I've watched, but uh, I think both of them were incredibly active. Also, too, Darius Stills just went undrafted. Um, and I'm not saying that that impacts um, their overall talent level. I'm just saying I don't think that the difference was that significant. I think they're both really good players. And the fact that Dante came back, obviously, is looking like a great decision. Um, one of the most talented defensive linemen, I think, in the league. He's, he's a little bit undersized you know, to play that three tech position, great size for big 12. Maybe it doesn't translate to the NFL. So maybe that's why Darius, um, you know, wasn't drafted, but you've got Cohen, who's kind of that long, um, you know, weak side defensive end. That's this long and rangy. If he can stay healthy, you've got um, uh, Akeem Mesador, who actually led the team in sacks last year. And He's a, a really big defensive end, or I'm sorry, maybe he's moving inside. I don't know. He's one of those those hybrid where he can play inside or outside. So you you're talking about three guys there that where you've got Stills and Mesador who are your low, you know, your big guys, and then Cowan, you got a legit pass rusher. Um, you know, it's a pretty complete unit. Now, my my question is, isn't the reason why they're so far back? is is the depth i don't know if there's really much depth there whereas pretty much the one through four units you know had a good amount of depth so, so i kind of downgraded it from that perspective but their their three guys are legit and i'm pretty you know i think that this west virginia defense was sneaky good last year and and could have another uh you know they lost tony fields and lost some other guys but could be a good unit as well this year and it starts up front so all right uh move on to number six joe uh, joe who do you got 
Uh, so I have West Virginia here. I was, you know, I was debating between them and Iowa State flipping them back and forth. I actually agree with Adam. I think that the gap between Dante and Darius is smaller than people think. I think because Darius got so much love, the gap just grew for whatever reason. Uh, but Dante is really good too. And I, I agree. He's, you know, he is undersized, but I love the way that him and Darius for the game because they're so violent and they're just so explosive on the interior and for guys that are undersized, they overpower guys that they shouldn't be. And I think that's just, it's just fun to watch, especially because a lot of people don't pay attention to the defensive line, mostly because especially the interior. So for a guy to play that way and to get, grab everybody's attention, uh, you know, I, I just think that it's, he's so fun to watch. And I agree that the gap between those two isn't as big as people make it seem. And I think we'll see that people will realize that this year. Mesdor is a guy that kind of surprised me last year. Obviously, you know, any, any younger guy that steps up uh, is going to probably surprise many because you don't really know people try to project as much as they want, but you never really know what you're going to get out of a guy until he actually steps on the field. So he's another guy that I like. And, and I agree that the depth here, just there's not a lot of it. So that's kind of why I have them this low, but the, the upside of stills and Mesdor is really something that I'm excited to watch again this year. So at six, I have Texas. And when I put Texas here, it's because of everybody else in this above, ahead of them, I, I feel at least confident. I also think, and I'll preface with this, and I don't care if this is a bailout or whatever, if there's any group I feel will end up significantly higher by the end of the season than where I have them now, it is Texas. Um, as you guys mentioned, like, I, I think Ojomo is going to have a really nice season. Obviously, I think Coburn's going to be the best nose tackle in the Big 12 this year. I think this, this defensive line has strengths. It is a young and talented group. How quickly do they gel with this new coaching staff, with a new defensive coordinator? Um, the talent's there. The biggest problem for Texas during the Tom Herman era was an inability to develop their players. We talked about this before we started recording. I thought Caden Stern should have come out of college and been a, a first-round picket. And he looked like it as a freshman, but he never got any better. And if if this coaching staff develops players, which is part of what you would think they would do with the staff they brought in, then I do think the the ceiling for this defensive line with the talent they have is really, really high. But at this point, I need to see that before I'm gonna move them up ahead of some teams where they have more they have players that I feel better about than what Texas has. Uh I don't know if this is gonna be a curveball or not, but I have six uh I have Baylor. Uh and it's really one big giant reason <laughs> and that's, and I don't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name properly, but uh, well, one, they, they pretty much return largely their entire defensive line for the most part. So they've got some experienced guys and, and they played pretty good football last year from a unit perspective, but I really want to focus on Apu Ika and I don't, I've seen, he has like three names online. Anyways, he is a transfer from LSU. He's going to be their, you know, their nose guard or, or whatever they want to call it, you know, their zero technique tackle. And I mean, he's just a monster and he's going to be, you know, I think in the big 12, you're not going to see a lot of the types of player that are the type of player that he is, which is, I've seen him listed anywhere from 350 to 375. Um, so six, four, I mean, the guy's just a um, beast and he's, He's pretty athletic for how big he is. Um, so when you talk about that type of size, there's basically Keandre Coburn, 
and and ICA, and that's it. I mean, as far as I know, in terms of big space clogging, zero technique defensive tackles that are actually athletic, that can actually disrupt instead of just taking up space. So I think having that level of quality in the middle is really going to help Baylor out and also to, you know, help out the rest of their defensive line as well. Um, and what they can do run defense wise, rushing the passer, rushing the passer and things like that. So primarily the reason why I rank Baylor in front of some of these others is specifically because they bring something to the table that really doesn't exist in the big 12. I mean, you think about the good defensive tackles in the league, talking about Dante Stills, we're talking about Perion Winfrey, we're talking about potentially Colin Clay and, and some other guys. Those are all defensive tackles that range from 285 to 305. This is potentially a 360 pound athletic behemoth uh, person that's just going to anchor this defense. So I'm pretty excited to see how that works out. Uh, and that's kind of the main reason why uh, I put Baylor number six. Very nice. All right, Joe, uh, number seven for you, which way do you want to go here? I maybe should have put Baylor higher because, you know, I really trust what Dave Aranda does on that side of the ball. I liked what he did at LSU. And, you know, obviously, like Adam said, he they did a pretty good job defensively last year. Um, I didn't realize Ico was that massive, um, which is just crazy. Uh, and I've heard that he's super athletic, just like Adam said. So that, that I don't know. I, I just don't understand how people that big can be that athletic as well. That's just <laughs> It's almost unfair for, you know, <laughs> us common people that just don't get either of that. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen a, a very limited amount of snaps from him, but the ones I did see, he, it's kind of amazing. So I agree. Yeah, it's just crazy what people like that. I mean, any Division one athlete you look at. Uh, when they had Sean Oakman, it was just like that. How is that a human being that's allowed to be on this earth? Like that's, <laughs> that's an alien is what it is. And it's just, I, you know, but yeah, this is, it's a solid group. I don't know if they have anybody, you know, Ike is probably the guy that I would have to pick if you're going to put someone in the top tier in terms of talent. So I don't know. I think that might limit them in terms of how high they can go, but you know, they're, they're a solid group. They return a lot of good production. So I don't really see many weaknesses up front. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of like they have a, a a high floor, maybe a low ceiling. Yeah, I've got Baylor here too, and Ike is a big part of it. They do return a lot. Um, they lose William Bradley King, which I I think is a big loss. I'll be curious to see how they replace. Frankly, what was their their best pass rusher to me? Um, I am. It's this is the perfect example of they return a lot. Sometimes returning a lot is a good thing. Sometimes returning a lot of not very good is it really beneficial. Um, but I, I trust Dave Aranda here, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And I don't think any team was hit harder by COVID for a variety of reasons um, than Baylor was that really impacted first-year coach, first-year staff, trying to replace everything they had lost on defense from Matt Rule's final season. So I, I am I am – I do think there's – it's the biggest question mark, but I do think – I guess just, I agree. Like he's going to be interesting. Like I feel like he's going to be one of those guys that we're going to talk a lot about during the season. Like I, Adam, I know as another OSU fan, I think it was last year for every time there was an Oklahoma state game, it felt like Oklahoma state was going up against the best defensive lineman in the big 12 every single week, which was 
right? Sorry, become a running joke. Uh, this week's the bet. No, this week's the bet. No, this week's the best. I, I'm I I do wonder if we get to the point in the Baylor game where it's like, no, no, no. Uh, I Ike is the best. Is if we're gonna do this again, but he's gonna be the one for you. Like, no, this is the guy who's the best defensive lineman in the Big Twelve. Like, I I think he'll make that big of an impact. I think it's more of a test of just the the defensive line depth across the league too, though, because. And, you know, maybe there's the, the league is still, you know, a few steps behind the SEC and maybe probably even the Big Ten. But I think that the league has come a long way in the last five years, like 2016 and 2017. Like we're not sitting there talking about this level of talent, I don't think. So um, there are some good there are some good defensive linemen in this this league. Uh, now, maybe that doesn't translate to the NFL draft. You kind of have to set your expectations appropriately, but uh, but I agree. It did seem like last year it was like every single time they're like, okay, but how are you going to handle the X? You know, how are you going to handle you know Jaquan Bailey? And I'm like, well, we just freaking we just freaking handle Darius Stills, okay? So just give us a break. <laughs> so, anyways, every I agree. Um, I uh, oh, good good segue. I'm going to take Iowa State as my seven, which I know is pretty low. Um, so obviously, Will McDonald is a, is a is a good pass rusher. Um, you know, I think what he ended up with with 10, 11, 12 sacks last year. Um, you know, kind of surprised because we thought Bailey was the guy, uh, and and actually Will McDonald ended up with with more sacks. Uh, and he's young too. I mean, he's uh, I think he's a, a junior uh, this year, and as a sophomore, he was able to have that much success. Um, when I was, I actually went back and watched like two or three specific games because I was on the fence about, I, uh, I had questions most on Iowa State, Kansas State, and, and Texas and TCU. Those are the four that like I didn't know. So I actually went back and watched some games and I see a lot more like facilitator type people. Like, for example, if you watch Oklahoma, it's like everyone is disruptive. They're hitting gaps they are a problem. And I think Iowa state generates a lot of their pressure from other areas outside of their defensive line. Uh, and, and also too, if you look at some of what Will McDonald's, you know, pressure, a lot of times it was, you know, their pressure, they were uh, covered sacks and things of that nature. So there was just no one that really stood out to me. Uh, so I kind of not knocked them back a few, a few notches and, and maybe, maybe I got, led maybe Ica just like blew me away too bad that I just inflated their ranking but um I decided to put Iowa State at seven uh for that reason so I don't think any team in our ranking has had a wider range so far of, of high and low than Iowa State you had them at three correct yeah right right good I, I like that a good range yeah everybody else is pretty close Iowa State all over the map uh speaking of Joe who do you have at eight well, you know, Adam, I actually kind of, I think that maybe the scheme of Iowa state's defense is probably why people aren't super high on them. I mean, they also don't get the same type of athlete that like Oklahoma gets obviously. Of course, so, yeah. you know, the scheme that they, you know, what, if you want to call out a three, three, five, or it's this very, very different scheme that Clemson actually copies, you know, I, they just have to do what they can with the pieces they have. So I honestly, I, I like that you ranked them that low because I think that scheme definitely brings out the best in them. So maybe they're, they're getting peak performances from everybody that's on that group. Yeah. Well, there's no question that they go out 
uh, get a you know pretty specific person because they know that they're not going to be able to go get the Joseph Asides of the world. So they're they need to basically figure out okay this is what we can do well these are the types of people we can do or we can recruit and and they do a great job of putting all the pieces together. Uh, I think you know Iowa State may have my seventh ranked defensive line, but they probably have you know first or second best defense you know coming back in the league. So to your point. You know, it's like the the sum is greater than its parts type type situation with Iowa State. So yeah, they play well as a as an entire defensive unit, which is fun to watch. But for I don't sure, know if they have uh, you know up front a guy that you're just like, yeah, wow, this guy put him at the top of everybody. So is that um, five star five star uh, culture over five star talent? Is that yep, <laughs> there, <laughs> there you go. go. There you go. Um, well, if uh, people are mad at me for my bottom three defensive line units, then they go ahead. So, uh, this was probably the toughest three to put together. Um, I have Kansas state here. Um, man, I am mostly just sad that Wyatt Hubert is gone because that was a, honestly, when I first watched him, I was like, this dude, this dude can play. And then, you know, I looked at his background and I'm like, he, nobody really knows who he is. And he just turned into this star for Kansas state's defense. And now he's gone. So really, I'm just like, I'm just sad that he's gone. Uh, Phil and I were kind of talking about before. It's like, who won Kansas State? Does anybody know besides like maybe Eli Huggins? Like, how much can you talk about Kansas State's defensive line? And, uh, you know, the loss of Hubert is just a really big one, honestly. And in a group that's, you know, similar to Iowa State, doesn't get the same kind of athlete that the teams at the top of the Big 12 get. Um, so you kind of have to, find a certain guy that fits a certain role and Hubert obviously fit that role. I don't know if Huggins can step up and be a guy on the interior, but I'm just not sure what else they have to, to offer to, to fill Hubert's role. Um, man. Okay. So I have Texas tech here. Um, and we got to this point and I, I'm be honest, these are the three I feel the least. You seem to be with. struggling a little bit. I am like, I got to these three and I was like, um, can I, can I have a three-way tie for a last place? No. Um, text another situation when they bring back basically everybody, but Eli Howard, um, they're moving Tony Bradford over to nose tackle, which I've seen some praise about that. This wasn't a great defensive line from getting pressure. Um, they had the second fewest sacks in the big 12 last year, according to true media, they, uh, they were 27% of dropbacks. They pressured quarterbacks. It just, it wasn't a very good defensive line they didn't do a whole lot but i am very intrigued by tyree wilson um the transfer from a from a&m no from yes from a&m back in august of last season so he joined quickly was on the team was solid for them i'm curious to see what he does with a full off season for texas tech and, and what he can do to potentially raise the level of this unit he's the reason i put this group here because he intrigues me um, as opposed to Kansas and Kansas State who don't necessarily have some new, exciting, shiny toy that makes me intrigued by the potential that they have. So I have Texas Tech at eight. So I'm aligned with Joe again, Kansas State at number eight. Um, Back on track. And, All right. Yes, here we go. Uh, so I, I, I wholeheartedly agree about Wyatt Hubert, one of my favorite players to watch in the last like 10 years in the big big 12 um amazing technique i mean just a technician with his hands you know he, he was he was a pretty good athlete but he won with uh you know just kind of his his physical nature and his hands uh and the way he attacked uh, he torched oklahoma state in, in that game um but you know really good uh solid player i think he 
I want to say he was the sixth round draft pick or something like that. Anyways, uh, my guess is, is he probably ends up playing in the NFL for like 10 years. That's how much, I, that's how highly I think of him. So that leaves a pretty big hole, right? So, um, you know, there are some pieces like Khalid Duke is, a, I think is a good player. They have, um, they have some kind of like in the light that I would, I would paint Iowa state or, or the rest of Baylor's defensive line, like sufficient level defensive linemen. Um, they've got, I think some good edge, uh, edge players that, that can, um, could potentially fill that, that role, uh, Gainis, Duke, I think are a good duo and, and things like that. But, you know, I don't really think there's anyone that kind of stands out. They probably take a step back too with, with Hubert gone. Um, so they really didn't stand out to me all that much, which means they kind of went back. They kind of went to the back of the list of that third bucket. Um, just because of that particular reason. And, and also, too, I'm a little bit worried about depth. So, okay. Uh, number nine, Joe. Number nine, I have Texas Tech. Uh, like you, Phil, I, I'm excited to watch um, Tyree Wilson, see what he can do. Uh, I think that gives them a little bit of a boost up front. Uh, you know, other, other than him, though, I'm not really sure who I'm going to be excited to watch. It feels like to me, Texas Tech still plays defense the same and just plays offense a little bit worse than they used to in the past. Uh, you know, I, that's just, it's my observation over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, hopefully they can turn things around, but you know, I'm excited about the linebackers behind them, but I, I just don't know what this group up front really can do. The, de- the defense gained an inch and the offense lost a mile. And that's what happened to Texas tech. Um, okay. I'm probably, I'm just, I, this is how I have it. Um, I have Kansas at nine. So yes, that means I have Kansas state last and I'll explain it in a minute. Um, I like Marcus Harris. Uh, he led the team in tackles for loss last year. Um, nice piece of defensive end. I am, I am intrigued by what is a fairly long young group. I mean, he was a Richard sophomore. They returned to John Terry, who's a redshirt sophomore. They get Sam Bird, who's a super senior back for them. It's not a great unit. It's not, but I am I am intrigued. Even amidst everything that's going on with Kansas, we don't even know what their coaching staff is going to be like, so this is probably a terrible pick to not put in last place. But I am more intrigued by what Kansas's potential is than what Kansas State is bringing back. Uh, I'm going to agree with you. I also have Kansas at number nine, which I, I thought was going to be a surprise, uh, which uh, – just kind of shows you the level of pathetic nature with the the Kansas football program that they're the ninth and not not assumption that they're going to be 10 um but you know I'm kind of it's kind of interesting Les Miles didn't do many things right um but there are some pieces where he actually did kind of go into uh and and recruit pretty well at the high school level and you know uh, for Kansas expectations um I haven't heard much but I'm, I am kind of excited about Stephen Parker, who I'm assuming Philip is who you're alluding to with, um, you know, former four-star recruit out of South Oak Cliff, which is kind of a talent factory uh, in Dallas. And, you know, coming into this, he was a big time defensive end. Uh, I don't know exactly how he fell into Kansas, <laughs> uh, but, it, but it did happen. And they've got some guys coming back for, you know, their, their extra COVID year that, like you mentioned, Bert, um, Marcus Harris, you know, Caleb Samson, Samson, I believe is, I don't, I don't know if he's a senior or super senior. Um, they've also got some decent size. Um, they've got some defensive tackles that are 300 plus. So, you know, I think just the, 
the upside of Parker potentially and, and, you know, coming back with, with Bert and some of these other guys uh, intrigue me enough to put them at nine instead of 10. So. Very nice. Okay. So that means that uh, Joe, you have Kansas in last place here. I do. Um, you know, maybe that's just lazy on my part. Cause it's just easy to put Kansas <laughs> in last place for everything. But uh, like I said, the last three, I was just like, you know what, uh, I'll just put them in an order and just stick with it. But um, I, you know, I, I could see them where you guys have them. Uh, I, I'm just, I guess I'm a really big fan of Lance Lightbold. So I think I'm excited to see what he can do. Uh, you know, Marcus Harris was the guy that jumped out to me first. You guys obviously talked about him. Uh, you know, at Buffalo, they had a D tackle named Eddie Wilson that just entered the transfer portal. So I'd be curious to see if Leipold um, heads over and tries to snag him and bring him over to Kansas. He was an all conference talent. That would be pretty fun to watch, but and I don't know if they did like, you know, Adam said, I don't know if they necessarily would need him because they have guys that can, you know, step up and be, be the starters that they need. But, you know, it's just, like I said, it might be lazy on my part to put Kansas here, but at the same time, they're, not moving exactly super high up my board. It, it's not lazy to put Kansas last in things. It's it's not. Um, so yeah, I have Kansas State last. I uh, I get it. They they bring back Eli Huggins. They bring back Bronson Massey. They bring back Khalid Duke. Um, they landed the transfer from Charlotte and Timmy Horn. That people are kind of excited about. It's not a. I'm just I, I. You lose Wyatt Hubert and you lose Drew Wiley and I. I just don't know how you replace Hubert. Like, I don't think, I think he was that good. Like, I, I there's not a piece that's coming back that I'm like, that's going to count, that's going to make up for. This is either going to have somebody comes out of nowhere and is and is awesome for them, or you're very much going to have to have a greater than the sum of its parts situation with Kansas State. I'm probably putting them way too low. I mean, they're probably going to end up being a good defensive line somewhere in the back half of the conference, probably not in last place. But there's just there's individual pieces of every or a piece on every other team that intrigues me more than anybody at Kansas State for this season. Again, they've got some pieces coming back that are nice, but there's not a. I'm excited about Marcus Harris for Kansas. I'm excited about Tyree Wilson for Texas Tech. There's not a guy at Kansas State. I'm like I'm so excited to see what he does this year. Maybe Massey, but it, it just doesn't reach those levels for me. Uh, I'm going with Texas Tech tenth. Um, you guys refer, you guys talked about Tony Bradford. Um, I remember watching him in high school. He was a North shore kid. Um, I think he's a defensive end and they're going to move him inside. And I think he's going to get just beat up on these. I mean, you know, Texas tech is largely going to play a three man front like the rest of the league. And, you know, I think you're talking about an undersized, you know, an, a, a, a adequate size defensive, strong side defensive end now moving inside. Um, and you know, he doesn't necessarily have the quickness, like a Perry on Winfrey or someone that you can lean on. And I think you're going to take basically your best defensive lineman and put him inside. And then, you know, he's just going to get, uh, he's just going to get washed up all the time. So I, I am intrigued by Tyree Wilson. I kind of look at Tyree Wilson, the same light, um, that I, I looked like uh, at Steven Parker, you know, two highly recruited guys joining bad defensive line units. Um, my, I'm assuming that both of them will probably stand out in that, in that light. Um, I'm not sure. I don't really know much about them other than that they were highly recruited. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a leap of 
faith here. Um, but the reason why I think I had Texas Tech last is one, I'm really worried about the def defense as a whole uh, and generally where the team is going as a whole. Uh, but also, too, I think I don't necessarily buy the move for Tony Bradford inside. And I think that's going to basically take your best defensive lineman, put him in a poor position to succeed, and then the rest is just going to unravel. So that's my reasoning for number 10. Fair enough. All right. Um, well, that wraps us up. That's one through 10. I'm sure everyone will agree with us, and no one will be angry about these things when I post this podcast and when I post these <laughs> rankings at Twitter. Um, so, of course, if you have a problem with what Adam – We have to re-rank in, like, mid-August, right? Uh, we'll re-rank, like – in October? Is that when we should do it? <laughs> After we've had a few games? <laughs> uh, well, it was, I will say it was incredible because, you know, I mean, I'm sure, Philip, you, you you remember we do our, our QB podcast or whatever. Usually it's around this time. Mm -hmm. And that's not that bad because usually you just have to Google, like, who's the starting quarterback for Kansas? But you know everyone else. In this case, it was incredibly challenging. So I'm assuming we'll be way off. Um but anyways, it was very hard, but it was a fun exercise. So Yeah. No, I thought this was incredibly difficult and required literally two weeks of free time research to get it figured out. And I don't feel, again, we weren't completely off from each other. I mean, the biggest gap to me of all of them was Iowa State at three, five, and, and seven. Everybody else was pretty much within a, a spot or two of, of each other. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how wrong we are because there's always, it's, it's like it every year. Um there's always a defense that rises up or, or a unit that, that impresses. If if there is, let's say this, we'll wrap on this. If there's one defensive line group that you have lower in your rankings that you think has the most potential to shoot up, um, who do you think that is? Go, go first. I got to think. Uh, man, I, I guess my pick off just off, off the top would be, it has to be, I guess, Texas or Iowa State. I just have to look at teams that are like either at the middle or below. Uh, you know, I just don't see Kansas State, Texas Tech, or can I mean, Kansas is probably the biggest wild card with a new coaching staff, but I don't see them flying up that high. I think Texas has the talent to compete with the top, but it's just a matter of, you know, we mentioned it, the, the outside is a big question mark. The, the interior is great. I, you know, I think they'll do a lot of good things there, but it just really comes down to the outside. Um, and then Iowa state is probably, you know, nobody really knows anybody outside of Will McDonald. So there's a lot of potential for them to grow as well. So I guess I'd pick one of those two, but I, I don't know. So I had Iowa state at seven and I feel like that's the likely choice and maybe I'll get blasted for this, but I'm not going to pick them. My pick is going to be West Virginia who had at five. I think West Virginia could easily be the second best unit in the league. So what's that moving up three spots, depending on, you know, they're, they don't have a ton of depth. So, you know, one injury, which Cohen is injury prone. So I think he missed several games last year. So, but that's a pretty good unit, you know, and especially if stills can take the next step, which there's no reason to think that he can't because those guys are beasts. Um, and then you've got Mesidor, who's, I, I believe a true sophomore, uh, so there's a lot of potential there in that, that unit. And if they can stay healthy, that could easily be the second best unit in the league, which I think, you know, you ask the casual fan and that would blow their mind. You know, West Virginia is not someone that's like, you know, busting off the paper for, for a good defense, but they, they are fielding good defensive teams. So, yeah. 
and I mentioned earlier on, I think it's Texas because I have them sixth. And I and I think if there is one unit that new coaching come, staff comes in and makes a big impact, the talent that they have, I, I could see them being top three in the Big Twelve easily. I just need to, I need to see it to believe. I'm sorry, I'm I'm too old now. Uh, I, I'm a I'm a see to believe, not a believe to see. Sorry. Um, okay, so if you have any complaints about our uh, our rankings here, uh, Adam, where can everybody follow you on Twitter? At Adam Lunt, L-U-N-T-817, for amazing Big 12 content. Give me a follow. And obviously hate hate tweets and hate DMs, all the above. So, Yeah, Adam, you are a, uh, you're a fantastic follow for all Big 12 fans, Oklahoma State especially, of course. Uh, and for everybody who wants to follow you, Joe, where can they do so? Uh, they can find me and just add Joe Broback. Uh, that is B-R-O-B-A-C-K. And, of course, you can check out his work on 6th Year Sports and CFB with JV Podcast. Guys, I appreciate you joining us. This was a lot of fun. Uh, again, like I said, it was a lot of work, but I really enjoyed this and enjoyed chatting with you guys tonight about this. Couldn't agree more, Philip. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Hey, guys. Christine Butterfield here. And Madison Morris. And together we host the Winning Women Podcast. This podcast is all about women's empowerment and creating a positive platform for females to tell their stories. Each week, we interview players, coaches, reporters, journalists, and much, much more. The conversations we have are unique to each guest, and they always have words of wisdom to share. Listen to the Winning Women podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, presented by the Highball Network. The NFL draft is a lot of fun, and I'm excited for everybody who is drafted from the Big 12 and everywhere else. But when it comes to post-draft talk, as much as we love to talk about which conference got the most picks and which team did and blah, 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 I, as a fan of fantasy football, really love to talk about landing spots because I think so much of a player's potential and their success can be not only determined by what they do on the field, but by where they end up. So that is what we are talking about today. Very excited to have Lori Fitzpatrick joining the show today of DraftWire. Uh, Lori, welcome to the 1012. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to uh, to talk Big 12 with you. So before we hopped on, you you made an interesting point to me. You saw there's a lot of Big 12 players getting signed as undrafted free agents. I, obviously, the Big 12, the only Power 5 conference without a first-round pick, saw a lot of players go on that day three with the rounds four, five, and six. From, from the NFL perspective, because I know you focus more on NFL than college, like how much of this is a reflection on the Big Twelve? How much of it is just this year? I mean, I'm just I'm not like worried about it from a Big Twelve perspective or, or the conference. I understand the issues in recruiting and all of that, but like, is it a warning sign for the Big Twelve as a conference from the NFL side that it seems like NFL teams didn't want to take as many high as they did other places? Yeah, I, th- I think it says, unfortunately, I think it says a lot about the competition because like you have really like you have teams that are like prominent in just all of college football, like Oklahoma. Um, and then like some lower teams that, you know, you're kind of looking at like, maybe like West Virginia isn't as prominent as they used to be in Baylor as well. So I think they're looking a lot about potential like uh, as an individual and then who do they go against? Like who are their matchups? So they see that a lot and they, they look at that a lot. Um, so it's just about like who these other teams are going against. If they're, if they have like better teams that they're seeing rather than their production on the field, like as a team. 
Yeah, the production is an interesting point. I, I've, I think I've, I've listened to some of the other Big 12 team-specific podcasts that I like, and some of their complaints was, why didn't my guy, you know, Darius Stills, or uh, Wyatt Hubert, why did these guys go so low when they were just these dominant, impressive players that, that really performed well in the field? How much does... There's a difference to me between production and what you put on tape, right? Because you may not, you may not have a lot of stats, but you may be impressive when I watch you on tape. How much do, does the stats you compile in college actually matter when it comes to NFL scouts and them drafting players? Yeah, not at all. Um, it's you know, it, it's it has a lot to do with how you play as an individual um, and your character at this point because it's all about potential. So like you want to get your stats high, like when you first come in, because then you're going to be put on somebody's board. And then it's all about like how you perform just individually, which is a shame um, because, you know, you see a lot of quarterbacks even that have good play, but it's not transitioned. So it's, it's pretty much how you work on yourself as an individual um, and, and being better that way posting videos and stuff of doing like workouts and stuff, that stuff is really going to help a lot of these guys um, just because it, it's not really about the team getting that W it's, it's kind of like as an individual, did you do your job? Did you shut down your guy? Um, because when you sh- on defense, when you shut down a player, um, some of those aren't even stats. So it like, it's kind of tough um, as, as a defense, if, if you're not playing well as a team, um, you know, you really got to play well as an individual. So let's talk about some of these guys in particular. Let's we'll start at the top. First player from the Big 12 taken. Uh, offensive lineman Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State going to the Chicago Bears. Uh, he was the 39th pick overall. I saw quite a few people who kind of projected him to Chicago at the 20th pick in the first round. Somehow the Bears luck into him following all, all the way down to pick number 39 for them. I... Of the guys taken, he's one of the ones I feel really good about sticking. How do you feel about him and his landing spot there in Chicago? Uh, no, I think it's great. Um, <clears throat> you know, they just got one of the best uh, quarterbacks in the draft. Um, so he's going to be thrown in the Wolves pretty much because he's they're going to get a lot of, of primetime games. It's going to be exciting. Um, but he's going to be someone that's going to get some reps. Uh, you know that for sure. Uh just because you have a new quarterback. So it doesn't really matter how guys performed in the past. It's about, you know, what you can do for your quarterback um, and and for the new kind of run game that they're going to establish. So, no, I think I think it's a definitely an upside, especially with, um, with you know, Justin Fields in there. Uh, another guy that had a lot of first-round projections ended up falling to the second, uh, Trevon Morg, uh, defensive back from TCU who went to the Raiders. How do you feel about that fit there? Um, so the, the Raiders are, um, you know, they're pretty interesting. You, you look at, you know, John Gruden and, and what he's being able to do. And it's, it's tough because they, they, they ranked 31st last year, um, in, in points given up their, their sacks are pretty low as well. Um, they didn't do too bad at interceptions. So that kind of, that you know that there's some upside there um but they have a lot of work to do so it's going to be more than just one player uh but they definitely needed some of that db help like for sure um i, I think it's i think it's a pretty good landing spot but it, he's not in the greatest position because he's going to need some more playmakers around you know him but there, there's another uh tcu safety 
you know, that, that got, that got drafted too, um, mm-hmm. uh, to the Ravens and he was undrafted. So you're going to see both of those guys, you know, really show who they are. TC, TCU had some pretty good defenders. So I think overall they're, they had a pretty solid D it's just about, you know, is that going to transition into production? Uh, maybe not year one, but definitely like year two or three. Um, I think there's definitely going to be some upside when they put some more pieces around them, you know? Yeah, no, agreed. Agreed. Let me, let me go through. Okay. So we had in, in day two, we had just six picks. We had, we had Jenkins and Morg. Um, we had Sam Cosme, offensive tackle from Texas going to Washington. Uh, Creed Humphrey, center from Oklahoma going to Kansas City. Uh, Joseph Osai, defensive end from Texas going to Cincinnati. And, and Ronnie Wilson. Perkins, defensive end from Oklahoma going to the Patriots. Um, of these six day two picks, Whose landing spot or who do you feel best about having uh, a long or successful career in the NFL? Um, I really like Mo Ring. Honestly, I, I did a lot. Am I saying his name right too? Mo Rig? Uh, Morig? Morig. Sorry. Sorry. I think, um, uh, look, I'm probably going to say it wrong too, so don't feel too bad. No, I I, uh, I did a lot of tape. Like I did a lot of study on him. Um, I think his potential is so high. I, I really loved him as a player. Um and as a safety, it's 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 not gonna be as much about the team's success as it is as your individual success because as I say, it's an important position. You can have a lot of pass breaks up, you can make a lot of tackles, and I think he's a really high physical guy. Um, and he's gonna show up in the NFL in these next couple of years. I think he he is like a, one of the highest success rates. Um, to be honest, I I think he's good. Um, also, uh, Jenkins. Um, to the Bears, the offensive lineman. It's kind of it's kind of tough to to grade offensive linemen. So, um, it's definitely going to be about you know how you perform individually. If one, you know, circling back to the beginning of our conversation, just individual stats. I think he's going to be he's going to be one of those guys too that's going to be really prominent in the next level. I agree with both of those. I also like Cree Humphrey going to Kansas City, the Chiefs overhauling their offensive line, something that obviously they needed to do. Oftentimes, though, we see teams where are like, you need to fix this, and they don't do much. But obviously, the Chiefs are massively overhauling that line. Creed Humphrey, really good player. Oklahoma produces some really solid uh, offensive linemen. Yeah. I like that landing spot for him. Didn't they only have like four picks in the whole draft? Like they, they didn't have a lot of picks, I don't, I don't, I don't think. I'm gonna have to look that up. So I'm. It's pretty awesome that you know you get picked up. Um, or was that the Seahawks that only had three? I think it was the Seahawks that had like four yeah. picks. So like Chiefs if you had... if you get picked by the Seahawks, that that's gotta be a gift from God. You know they didn't even get that many picks, and if and if you're on their board, um, Trey Brown he went to uh, the Seahawks, uh, University of Oklahoma. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's, that's pretty exciting. They're, they're, they're still trying to replace, uh, replace Boyd Sherman. So hopefully, you know, he, he'll be able to flourish there in, uh, in Seattle. Uh, let's move on down to day three. You had a couple of running backs. I mean, there weren't a lot of running backs that went in this draft period. Uh, Kenny Nwangu from Iowa state going to the Vikings and Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma state going to the Panthers. Do you like, I, uh, well, sorry, three, Ramonde Stevenson. Uh, from Oklahoma going to the Patriots. Which one of those three do you feel best about after the draft? I would say um, Kenny Aguanagu. I think I said that right. <laughs> I said it, and now I'm going to have to uh, – I think it's Inwangu. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> I'm going to get chewed up for not pronouncing names properly. But. Yeah. Well, like, I, I really liked him, but, I mean, it's a full house. I mean, and, you know, you think about the Patriots, what they have Sony um, there. So, like, th- there may be more opportunity, um, you know, for Stevenson. Uh, but I think, you know, on the Vikings, if they, if they give, you know, your guy a shot, he, he could definitely – do his thing because Dalvin cook is back there with Madison. Right. But you like teams that have like two running backs. So I think they would, they could be, you know, a a one, two, three punch type of team. So it's, it's a full room over there in Minnesota, but um, you know, there's just, you know, it's all about hard work. Right. So I I think he could be someone where they're going to, they have a, they have a heavy run game. So he's going to get some touches, but it's just, you know, it's just about the competition. It's tough, man. A lot of these yeah, teams, I mean, there's a lot of running backs like on on yeah. their squads. Well, I mean, you, you say that. I mean, look at New England. They've got Damian Harris, Sony Michelle, James White, Brandon Bolden, I, and now Stevenson. Like, it's not a it's not a like obvious he's going to get playing time situation in New England for him either. And and I, and I like Ramondre Stevenson, but I think that's a tough spot to land in. To me, well, Chuba's got the easiest position to. Get immediate playing time behind Cement. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, because like, what do you have? Um, McCarthy or what am I thinking of his uh his last name? The the white guy, McCaffrey. So see him. Yeah, McCaffrey's there, which yeah. obviously you know, like, be, arguably best running back in the NFL. But yeah. behind him, <sighs> there's not. Yeah, exactly. So um, maybe that would probably be like the best um the best running back situation for you know the big 12 like coming out of the big 12 he he probably went to the best spot um because besides McCaffrey like they really they really don't have much yeah you got Rodney Smith uh Darius Clark two guys I did actually have no idea about so I mean yeah I mean that that to me feels like if there's anyone that's got an opportunity to at least pull in a a backup role day one. I think Chuba's got a good one. Okay, fifth round. We got two linebackers who went here, two guys that were really good in the Big 12 this year, Tony Fields uh, from West Virginia, Garrett Wallow from TCU. Which one of those guys do you like better, Fields to, to Cleveland and, and Wallow to Houston? Yeah, so um, Cleveland, <clears throat> Cleveland, they, they have an interesting room. Um, they don't really have that many like linebackers, uh, to be honest. So, um, you know, there, there are some guys there, uh, but they're not really as prominent. They're, they're prominent more on the defensive line. Um, so, like, I could see him really, you know, doing something over there in Cleveland. And Cleveland had a pretty good draft. It wasn't too bad. Um, so, no, nah, I, I would say Cleveland, and they're kind of on the up and coming anyway. So, um, you have that prominent defensive line and when you have one side of the ball that does really well and the line right in front of you it's only going to trickle down and 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 help out the linebackers if you have like a really solid uh defensive line so i think he has the best chance to kind of flourish to tony fields from uh um west virginia yeah that's i like that one uh you know you you mentioned uh DBs from Oklahoma, I believe you mentioned Trey Norwood, who who went to, to Pittsburgh there in the sixth round. Um, Rodarius Williams in the sixth round as well from Oklahoma State, cornerback going to New York Giants. Any thoughts on either of them and their landing spots? I am as an Oklahoma State guy, I was shocked to see Rodarius Williams fall as far as he did. I thought he was really, really good 
in, in coverage. Um, and was shocked to see him see that fall that that far. But between him and Norwood, who who do you like their landing spot better? Uh, I would say Trey, um, because they picked out a bunch of of uh, defensive, you know, guys. And at least I would rather try to beat out rookies than I would try to beat out guys that are already established on a team. Um, they picked up like four or five uh, DBs, like corners, safeties. Um, so I would I would definitely say uh, the Steelers. Trey, Trey Norwood for the Steelers. Because what, what do you have? Like, you have Minka back there, um, Edmonds, but, you know, and, and at least you have guys on the outside like Joe Hayden that can shut defenses down. All you have to do is your job. You don't have to try to pick up anybody else's. So um, I think Trey Norwood has has the best opportunity. Okay. Uh, you and I talked about undrafted free agents, the Big 12 having quite a few. Were yeah. there a couple that, that stood out to you as – as guys where you think they have a they have a shot to stick with that team uh when when their rosters are announced before the season. Uh yeah, so um I think the Cowboys, I don't think they have a full wide receiver room or anything. Um and they picked up uh Brennan Eagles from uh from Texas. Uh so I, I think he he should be pretty safe, uh to be honest. And I know that uh, Tyler Eifert, he he got moved from the Bengals to the Jags, then he got let go. Um, And so the Bengals picked up a tight end from TCU, uh, Wells. Yeah, Um, pro Wells. Yeah, I think think he he landed in a pretty nice spot. Um, I wish the Jaguars actually, uh, you know, picked some tight ends up. But there there were a few that came out, um, you know, as an undrafted free agent, and one of them – you know, was from TCU, which is great. So I think definitely watch out for the Bengals tight end. Uh, you know, is it pro? Is that his first name? Pro Wells? Yes. Pro yeah. Wells. I thought maybe I typed that in wrong. I was like, wait, did I do that wrong? <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. So uh, Wells, that tight end, I think uh, he'll do pretty well. And there's also the other, the other safety from TCU. Um, Ardarius Washington. Yes. Uh, yeah. That in, is correct. in the Ravens, uh, they're all about defense. So you always want to, it's always a good thing when you go to a team that pretty much masters a defense. So that's going to be pretty good for him, I think. Very nice. Larry, this has been awesome. I appreciate you joining us today and giving us a little bit of your time. Uh, for everybody who wants to check out the work you do covering the NFL, uh, where can they do so? Uh, so I'm with the draft, the draft wire, the touchdown wire uh, from USA Today. Also, just follow me on Twitter and you'll see everything that I put out um, at Larry Fitzpatrick. And then I'm also on YouTube, and I have a podcast called Ponytails Talking Pigskins. So definitely uh, check that out, and hopefully we, you know, we can be on each other's podcast. That would be awesome. Thank you so much, yeah. Philip. Would love that, Larry. Again, thanks very much. Everybody, give Larry a follow, and uh, yeah, we'll definitely do this again soon when the season gets closer. Thank you so much for having me. Podcast Network.